This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Here you go. Here you go. Sleeping. Nothing personal. Word of the day, November 10th, 2020. Sleeping as in sleeping at the wheel. It's an expression. Should never fall asleep at the wheel, especially if you've been drinking. Should never get behind the wheel if you've been drinking. Biggest story of the night happened because word came out that Tony Larusa, the 76-year-old brand new manager of the Chicago White Sox, returning home, going full circle, working for Jerry Reinsdorf with a great young team, was charged with driving under the influence. Let me give you the backstory. What's happened since? What's going to happen going forward? What should have happened? And what may still happen? So back in the day, you've heard some great stories on Nothing Personal about the Montreal Expos and their spring training in Jupiter, Florida. Then when I joined the Expos, we had spring training in Jupiter, Florida. Then we switched out the Expos for the Marlins and the Marlins spring trained in Vieira. Vieira was an outpost north, like two hours north of Jupiter, and we wanted to switch spring training facilities, and so we did. So the Marlins ended up spring training in Jupiter starting in 2003, and the Expos and Nationals, who then became the Nationals, were moved to Vieira, and they eventually moved to Palm Beach when Palm Beach publicly financed a spring training stadium for the Astros and Nationals. Why does this matter? Because Through it all, we shared a complex with the St. Louis Cardinals. And during my early years, many of my early years from 00 to 11, I think, I think it was all 11 years, but certainly the majority of those, Tony La Russa was the manager of the Cardinals. And they were our joint venture partners. The Cardinals and the Marlins owned Jupiter and the stadium. It was called Jupiter Stadium Limited Company. That was the company that we each owned 50% of that ran Jupiter. Except we, the Expos and then the Marlins, ended up running it more because the Cardinals didn't care much. It wasn't important enough to them. It wasn't a big enough business, and they were the mighty Cardinals. We were the lowly Expos and the lowly Marlins, so we'll do the work, which as a control person, I was more than happy to do that with my friend Claude Delorme and many others, of course. So we're in Jupiter, and before every spring training game, the players report. It's called spring training reporting. They have a physical, and then there's a meeting. And this plane will land, Coca, I promise. There's a meeting that goes on with the players, and 
the owner addresses them, the president addresses them, the GM, the equipment manager, the hitting coach, the trainers. It's a meeting where you're just welcoming the players to spring training, talking about what's expected, what's coming next, going through the rules. And when I would meet the team every year, I would talk about my hopes, my expectations, and I would also talk about drunk driving. And I would say, listen, on your chair is the phone number of a local limousine company. Also on your chair is my cell phone number. This was back before texting or cell phones became hugely big. But after that, I still gave myself. I said, if you are out in Jupiter, which you will be because the players go out, they don't go out late because the difference between spring training and regular season is spring training games are all afternoon games. And before games start, workouts start at 7.30, you have to report. 7.30, latest 8 o'clock. So the players actually have a different schedule during spring training because you're out of there generally by one, even earlier. And when games start, the better players are out of there in the third or fourth inning. So the players then go play golf, they go out, but they end up going to bed rather early. That said, there is opportunity to go out each night, pre-COVID, of course, and there's opportunity to drink, which means there's opportunity to get a DUI. So we always said to the players, we'll pay, make the call, no punishments. We, we were like parents. I don't know how many kids ever call their parents and say, come get me, I can't drive. I wish more did. And this was also before Uber. So we put a piece of paper on their chair and say, don't forget to call us. And I'd move on to the next thing. In my 18 years, we got one call from a player and it was a minor league player who was out and wanted a ride. One call. Unfortunately, we had more DUI arrests than calls. I don't know what it is about people. I don't know pre-Uber why you wouldn't bother to get a car. The athletes get money. They make money even if they're not all rich, which they're not. They do have enough money to afford a driver. Anyone has enough money to afford a driver or a taxi or to walk if you don't. Because the cost of driving drunk is not just money. It can be your freedom and someone else's life. And I would always tell the players that the Jupiter police force is a little different than other police forces. Spring training for them is like Christmas. The Jupiter police force is on the lookout for professional athletes who are drinking and driving. They love the publicity. And this is not the individual cops. I'm talking about the people in charge, the chief. They love the publicity. They love the attention. So we always said, be careful. In 2007, we got word that Tony LaRussa had been arrested for DUI. And he was found asleep at the wheel at a red light in Jupiter. Exactly what we told our players and staff never to do. A, don't get in the damn car if you're drinking. B, if you are, no B, don't do it. So Tony LaRusso gets in, the light stops because it's a red light. And if you know Florida, you know that lights can be pretty long, especially on the big streets where you have to wait for the left turn green, then the left turn green turns yellow, then red, then you turn green. It can take a while. Tony LaRusso fell fast asleep. Unfortunately, there was a cop behind him, not seen anything wrong, beeping the horn, 
Larusa not moving. Lights go on. Tap on the window. Larusa's drunk as a skunk. So we then ha- took that opportunity in 07 to again meet with our team. This was coming off our 06 year when G- Girardi had won manager of the year. We had a new manager in 07 and Coke, I can't remember. I think it must have been Freddie Gonzalez. And uh, we met the team and said, here's what happened with Tony. Please be smart. So Tony LaRussa ate some crow, moves right along. Don't think anything of it. We are 13 years later. And I'd seen Tony LaRussa many times at owners meetings, many times at baseball meetings, winter meetings over the years, just scores of times, drank like other people drink. Nothing to see here. Well, word yesterday comes out that Tony LaRussa has been now charged with his second DUI, the first one being 13 years ago. And what was interesting is that he was charged the day after he was hired by the White Sox to be their manager. Let me give you the background of the incident and explain why there's something going on here. This incident happened back in February in Phoenix, Arizona. You know from watching the election, Maricopa County, that's the county that has Phoenix, I think, and Scottsdale. I just kept hearing different networks say Maricopa County. I'd never really heard of that before, although I've been to Arizona many times. So he was in his car. The car hit a curb and the car sort of was smoking. The police came and the police felt as though he was drunk. He refused a breathalyzer, which is his legal right. He refused to submit to blood alcohol test, which is his right. It is also then the right of the police to decide if they believe he is under the influence, which they did. They found him, quote, argumentative. And they put him in the system as going to be charged with DUI. Well, because of COVID and yada and yada and yada, the official charge did not come until the day before he was hired. So during the course of the hiring process, and I use that word loosely because you and I both know that there was no hiring process. All the rumors to the contrary that Jerry Reinsdorf was going to hold an actual search for a manager was horse hockey. They interviewed one minority candidate, and it was a joke of an interview, which is why the Selig rule is such a travesty. It is a check-the-box rule for owners, and I've told you this on Nothing Personal. It is a check-the-box rule for owners who know exactly who they want to hire before they start the interview process. So Jerry Reinsdorf makes a mockery of his best friend's rule. Bud Selig and Jerry Reinsdorf are old friends, best friends. LaRousse is hired, and word comes out that the charge of DUI happened. Jerry Reinsdorf then had his PR guy come out with a statement that made him, Reinsdorf, and the White Sox look terrible. The statement was that they were aware of the incident prior to the hiring, and they will have no further comment as this is a pending case. 
So we will have no comment because this is a pending case. This is page one of the PR handbook when you work for a team and you've got a player who gets arrested. Innocent till proven guilty. You have to be guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. All of those basic principles of our legal system are true, but that doesn't mean that that is an acceptable statement by a team. Now, I did it too during the DUIs that I had. We will have no further comment while the case is pending. But Jerry Reinsdorf is a very powerful man in Phoenix, Arizona. If Tony La Russa had told Jerry Reinsdorf about this incident prior to the official announcement of the hiring, Jerry Reinsdorf very easily could have found out through his connections in the legal community, through his connections in the sheriff's department, what the story was and when the charges were going to happen. What's the timing? Unfortunately, that's the reality of connections. That's reality of wealth and power. And it's everything that many people hold in complete contempt and have total disdain for. But that's real. That's honest. That's power. You cannot get away with a crime, but you can find out the timing and you can submit yourself to arrest at a mutually convenient time in a mutually convenient place as opposed to having police come to your door at seven in the morning with handcuffs. So Jerry Reinsdorf is aware that this is going on. He doesn't find out information because if he did, and he still did the hiring the day after the charge, I, I, I don't know what to say. So I'm going to assume he didn't. So if Tony LaRussa had told Jerry Reinsdorf about this charge, Jared Reinsdorf had made a decision, obviously, that this was not a big enough issue to stop me from what I want to do. This is not sign stealing where the Mets wanted to hire Carlos Beltran. Carlos Beltran was a player. Carlos Beltran got immunity. Carlos Beltran was mentioned in the report. Carlos Beltran was let go before he managed a game. Jared Reinsdorf decided that DUI, second offense, is not as bad as sign stealing. Jerry Reinsdorf decided, for whatever reason, that his desire to make good on the firing of Lewis in 86 trumped any possible lashing back, what's the word, not flashback, pushback, any possible pushback from his fan base or the media. Jerry Reinsdorf was aware that when he got hired, LaRussa, that there would be sort of a difficult adjustment for fans, the media, and as we learned from Tim Anderson yesterday, maybe even the players, but it didn't matter. Jerry Reinsdorf decided that DUI doesn't matter. But does it? Articles have begun to come out. Tweets have begun to be sent where people are asking why Tony LaRussa will not be let go. Ken Rosenthal, a very good journalist for The Athletic, it's worth your money to subscribe, a baseball insider, wrote an article this morning on November 10th. Uh, he probably wrote it last night, but released this morning, asking whether or not the basic undercurrent of that article is, will Tony LaRussa be canceled? Will he be let go and should he be let go? So I want to answer that 
in a pretty uh, firm way. Given the facts as we now know them, Jerry Reinsdorf being the owner, what Jerry Reinsdorf knew when he knew it, Jerry Reinsdorf deciding that he's going to run the team the exact way he wants with absolute reckless indifference toward what his baseball people think. There is no chance that Jerry Reinsdorf will change courses right now. There's no chance that Jerry Reinsdorf will read your article, Ken. There's no chance that Jerry Reinsdorf will pay attention to the tweets or to the tsunami that is headed toward him because he's got a life preserver on and that life preserver is is based on his own age. That life preserver is based on the old adage, I don't care. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. I will do exactly what I want to do when I want to do it. But even when you're that way, how can you not, if you're the White Sox, proactively address this issue? One of the great PR lessons is that you've got to get out ahead of a story. Sometimes getting out ahead of a story is you let it die, which means you don't keep bringing it up after the first time. Sometimes getting ahead of the story means you purposefully choose to react because you want to see what goes on. Other times getting ahead of the story means you actually cause the story to be released. You control the narrative that you want out there. Then you see what the reaction is to your proactivity. Then you react to people's reaction to you being proactive. The White Sox didn't do any of that. They were totally reactive with no plan. If it were me, I'm standing up immediately knowing that I have to hire Larusa. And if I'm the team president, I'm being very honest with, very honest with Jerry Reinsdorf. And I'm saying, listen, we're going to have a press conference. We're going to announce Tony Larusa as our manager. We are going to announce the charge. And we are going to say that he is innocent till proven guilty. If we find that he is guilty, we, are, we have demanded as part of this contract the following 10 things. One, three strikes and he's out. If he is ever caught driving under the influence, he will be terminated for cause. That's a shout out to yesterday's show immediately. Two, he is entering a program where we are going to help him help himself with his problem. Three, he is going to work with authorities and programs here in Chicago, and he is going to do community service regardless of what his sentence may or may not be, what his settlement or plea may or may not be, whether he's innocent or not after a trial or if he pleads to a lesser offense, he will be engaged in community service a minimum of 100 hours, including off days where he will talk about the dangers of driving while drunk. He has agreed to all of these. Tony LaRusso will be speaking to you next. You may ask him any questions you want. 
he may not be able to answer exactly about the case that is to protect his own legal interests, but he will certainly address the reality of his situation. He will not take a phone call from the media and hang up on you saying, I have nothing to say, which is exactly what Larusa did yesterday. Instead, he will talk to you and he will answer every one of your questions and he will confirm what we have asked him to do. Will the White Sox do any of this? Not a chance. Tony LaRussa sleeping. Word of the day. Disgraceful, actually. Rob Manford's getting some bad attention right now. And you know I'm the first person to tell you that I've worked closely with Rob, that I wanted him to be commissioner. I'm also the first person to tell you when I'm critical of what the commissioner is doing. And I've said it to him directly when I don't agree with what he's doing from a PR standpoint or a business standpoint. Word came out yesterday and it's getting a lot of negative attention for a reason that I can't figure out. I guess I can. First, let me tell you what happened. Rob Manford in a memo and in a meeting with his employees at Central Baseball said, that he is instituting a voluntary retirement program for anyone above the age of 50. I'm sensitive to that because I'm above the age of 50. Here's what a voluntary retirement is. You go to anyone who's over 50 and you say, if you retire now, here is the severance package you will get. We will pay you to retire extra than if you just retired during the normal course of time Or if we fire you, your retirement package will be greater than the severance package that you are offered. So what do you say? You ready to volunteer? You ready to retire? Of course, we're all too young to retire at 50. But there's a reason why companies do this. And Major League Baseball is not the only company. So before you criticize baseball, It's possible your company is going through this very same analysis now. How does it work? Every year in your budget when you run a company, there is a line item for wages, salaries, benefits. The benefits are pensions, 401ks, any sort of stock ownership plan, an employee stock ownership plan, severance, all things that have to have a category in a budget because they are cash out the door. During a particular fiscal year of your company, when they match your 401k contribution, which most companies are not anymore, or when they're forced to make contributions to your insurance as part of your medical insurance, or if you've got a pension because you're a union or you've got a pension because you're not a union, but generally you'll know if you have a pension, and you'll know if your employee employer is contributing. That is current day cash. When you offer employees voluntary retirement, you have a current year cash hit, but a future year cash savings. And with this current year cash hit, There are tax reasons why companies want to do this. There are tax benefits to getting employees off the book, paying them what they are 
offered to get paid and then you're done with them. You don't have to carry the contingent liability of this employee retiring during a particular year, even if that employee doesn't retire in that particular year. The equivalent in baseball, we had contingent liabilities when we had to offer to pay kids something called the college scholarship plan. The college scholarship plan is when you draft a kid, you, as part of signing that kid out of high school, you offer to pay for their college. When you offer them, if they're a junior in college, when they come out of the draft and you sign them, you offer to pay their senior year in college. You then have to reserve money in case a drafted player who you've never heard of because they're not prospects, they don't make it. If they leave baseball, they can collect on your promise to pay their college tuition. You then have to pay college tuition. So you have to reserve money in order for the possibility that you will be paying tuition for players. We always reserve more money than we paid, but you carry that contingent liability on your books. I always said, hey, Wouldn't it be great if the players would just take the extra money and we didn't have that contingent liability, except the public would say, you guys are mean. Don't you want these kids to go to college? Don't you care about their future? And my answer is, it's not my job. If you choose out of high school that you want to be a minor league player and you want to get paid a thousand bucks a month because you have the dream of being a major leaguer, be my guest. But what you're sacrificing is going to college, getting an education and putting yourself in a position to make way more money in the working world. But you're going after your dream. I'm all in. But I'd rather give you 200 grand right now and not have to worry about paying for college later because I'd rather be able to tell the owner, hey, here's our cash outlay for this year. We have no future liabilities. It's like doing deferred comp for a player where you, a player has a salary of 5 million. You only pay him 3 million during the year he plays, but then you've got to play, pay him 2 million in future years not to play. You know, like Bobby Bonilla gets a million bucks every single year from the Mets. It sucks to have to pay for a service that you already got. It's like the permanent layaway plan. So companies are going to employees all over. Newspaper companies are going to reporters. Colleges are going to employees. Universities are going to employees in their front office or professors. Any sort of industry is going to their older employees. And I say that in quotes. I say that in air quotes. But they're going because they want to get these employees off the books. Totally normal totally fine. Here's the downside from an employee standpoint. When you are approached for early retirement and you say no, the employer by law cannot hold that against you. The employer by practice does. Hard stop. They won't admit it. It's against the law. But every employer, when they go to someone for voluntary retirement They want to put an I-N in front of that V. They don't want it to be voluntary. They want you to do it. Okay, when we come back, we are going to review a movie with the dude in it. We are going to get, I promise you, we are going to get to something that CBS did yesterday that we have to talk about. We will be right back. (laughs) 
Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. I learned from Coco when I tease something that we're going to talk about, we have to talk about it. So I promise you we will talk about something that CBS announced yesterday it is something that is very important. But first, we're going to review a movie. I watch a movie every day. I came across this movie on, I don't remember what. It may have been Amazon. I think I may have had to pay, but I don't remember. It's called The Only Living Boy in New York. I have no idea how I never heard of this movie. It's from 2017. It is starring, wait for it, Kate Beckinsdale, James Bond, and Jeff Bridges. Now, it's Pierce Brosnan. He was James Bond. It also stars Cynthia Nixon from Let It Ride, the one who needed orthodontal work. Yeah, you may know her from Sex and the City. It is a movie about a boy who is in love with an actress. Well, she's an artist. She's a student. Her name is, oh God, I didn't write it down. Uh, Coca, is it uh, Kiersey Clemens, who was in a movie that I loved that I reviewed earlier this year. She is also in this movie and uh, she is phenomenal. And uh, she plays a character named Mimi. And uh, I can't remember the other movie she was in, but I want to say it could have been a movie with Mark Ruffalo about a family who sings together. Is that possible, Coca? Anyway, I'm losing my mind a little bit. So she is the best friend of a college student. The college student has a father named Pierce Brosnan and a mother named Cynthia Nixon. The college student finds the father, Pierce Brosnan, having an affair with Kate Beckinsdale, who, by the way, is a perfect 20. And the student's son ends up having an affair with Kate Beckinsale. Oh, there's no D. It's Kate Beckinsale? I, I thought my whole life it was Kate Beckinsale. Kate Beckinsale. Okay. So the kid ends up having an affair with the woman who's having the affair with his dad. What? I'm in because I want to see the movie because where's Jeff Bridges? Jeff Bridges plays a neighbor of the young boy, of the college student boy, this philosophical, he's like the dude, except he doesn't talk like the dude. He's like an older dude from Big Lebowski. He's got all of these amazing sort of uh, philosophical statements to say. And he just sort of pops up as the narrator of the movie and of the older, shall I say, role model for the son. 
And then at the end of the movie, we discover that it's his father. What? Spoiler alert. It's a three-year-old movie. I don't have to not tell you. Spoiler alert. Jeff Bridges somehow is the father of the son, which means the son was not having an affair with the girlfriend of his father. He was just having a relationship with someone who was having another relationship with another guy. Yikes. The only living boy in New York is the name of a song by Simon and Garfunkel. I enjoyed the movie. I wanted more because when you've got Jeff Bridges, when you've got Kate Beckinsale, when you've got Cynthia Nixon, Pierce Brosnan, you want more. Directed by the guy who directed 500 Days of Summer. One of my favorite movies that if you haven't seen, you need to. I'll review that another day. The Only Living Boy in New York. Okay, next. Go ahead, Coco. We got to talk about Sterling Brown. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get in my Twitter, David P. Samson. Ask me a question, and I want to answer it. You can Instagram, too, at David P. Samson. Everything's open. Everything's public. By the way, while I'm here, download and subscribe. You made it through the commercials, right? Please download. Hit subscribe if you're enjoying this show, which you are. Our retention rate's awesome. I don't know what that means. It means you guys like listening for the end. Tell your friends. Okay. So you want to talk to Samson. If you were Sterling Brown of the Milwaukee Bucks, would you have settled with Milwaukee? Another great question from another story yesterday that I want to tell you what it is. If you don't, Sterling Brown is the black player, plays for the Bucks. He's an average NBA player. He got basically tased, if you will, by the Milwaukee police for no reason other than his skin color. He then instituted a lawsuit against the Milwaukee Police Department. And yesterday it was announced that that lawsuit was settled for $750,000. $750,000 is a lot of money. But that was not the point of the lawsuit. Sterling Brown was not doing it to make money. As a matter of fact, I believe he's donating all that money to a program that will help stop police brutality, stop police racism, stop systemic racism. And not all police people are racist. Not all police people are bad, but like any other industry, any other group, there are racists out there. Sterling Brown got something that doesn't get focused on when you read the headline. Sterling Brown gets 750 grand to settle a case. That's not what this was about. Sterling Brown got a promise that there would be change. He got a statement by the Milwaukee Police Department and he got action. It's not just empty words. This is an easy settlement decision for both Sterling Brown and the Milwaukee Police Department. And that is the only way settlements actually happen, is when both sides believe that continuing on with the case is detrimental to each of you. In this case, what did Milwaukee have to lose? Some of the worst PR ever. An athlete, a local athlete, 
being targeted by the Milwaukee police, having witnesses, having testimony, having the reality reminded in headlines over and over and over again because Sterling Brown is an athlete, because he plays for the local hometown team, Milwaukee Bucks, it would be above the fold. That's an old expression, Coca. Above the fold is on a newspaper that folds. Any news that's above the fold is the most important news of the day. Second most is below the fold. Because when you fold the newspaper, obviously you're looking at the top half. When you turn it over, you're looking at the bottom half and it separates at the fold. This lawsuit would be above the fold every day because it's embarrassing to the people of Milwaukee, the politicians in Milwaukee. They wanted no part of it. There's an expense to having a lawsuit. Most cases settle. You'll hear from litigators that they rarely go into court that 99% of their cases settle. The reason is going to court is incredibly expensive. It's expensive because lawyers charge a lot of money and they've got to spend a lot of hours. So defending this suit would be expensive for Milwaukee. Going forward with this suit would be expensive for Sterling Brown. So there's always the incentive that if you can settle for an amount below what you would have to pay in legal fees, by definition, you do that. Now, some people don't settle on principle. There were certain suits that I would never settle no matter what, knowing it was a bad business decision. When it is your integrity at stake, when the truth is at stake, in this case, the truth was self-evident and it was a bad truth for the Milwaukee Police Department. For Sterling Brown, you settle knowing that you're going to get less money by settling than you may have gotten from a jury, but you also know you want to move on with your life. And you also know that you're not doing this as a get rich quick scheme or a get richer scheme. You are doing this because you want to draw attention to the police brutality issue in your adopted hometown. So what you're really after from Milwaukee is that program and the promise to change. Milwaukee gets to say, Yes, we're going to do exactly what Sterling Brown wanted. We are going to educate our police. We are going to make sure they have sensitivity training. We are going to make sure that there is better oversight. Why are they so willing to agree to this? Because of where we are right now in society, every police force right now, if they don't want to get defunded, they are making changes. Remember, defunding police is not getting rid of a police force. It is taking budget away from a police force. And if there's one thing you've learned on nothing personal, people don't like when their budgets are touched. So they'll often spend the money foolishly just to show their bosses that they spent the money. So they need more money in the next budget. So that's how settlements happen. Your question is, if I had been Sterling Brown, would I have settled? And the answer is 100% yes. Sterling Brown was after change and he's going to get it. Okay, nothing personal pick of the day. Give me a break. Did you watch the first quarter of the Pats-Jets game? I thought it would go under seven and a half. I laid a dollar forty-one to win a dollar. Three-nothing Jets, eight minutes to go. Cam Newton somehow completes a 35-yard pass. Cam Newton somehow runs it in from the five. Cam Newton somehow leads to a scoring drive in the first quarter. It's over with four minutes left. The TV's off. We lost. Seven-three Patriots at the end of one. The first... TD in the first quarter of the year offensively. God damn it. We're 32 and 30. Okay, wait to see. On November 9th, 
That's yesterday. I told you Devin Williams would win Rookie of the Year in baseball. Got that right. I told you that Louis Robert would win Rookie of the Year in the American League. Got that wrong. That's a split way to see. Kyle Lewis won Rookie of the Year. Unanimously, no less. I mean, Louis Robert did not have a great September. I guess that's the reason. But I was shocked it would be unanimous. Louis Robert, I think, got 27 second-place votes. Devin Williams is the first reliever to win it since Craig Kimbrell in 2011 in the National League. But what's so interesting about it is that it's the first set of black winners to win Rookie of the Year since 1984. Dwight Gooden and Alvin Davis won Rookie of the Year in 84. Noteworthy. 36 years. It's one of the issues that baseball has. They're trying to improve and increase their African-American and black participation. Having a black rookies of the year win gives baseball the ability to weave a story that they are nurturing, teaching, and promoting black players in Major League Baseball. Not to say Devin Williams and Kyle Lewis were not deserving because they were, but it is a happy coincidence for Major League Baseball. Today we get Managers of the Year. I told you, Kevin, wait to see is my on Managers of the Year today. Kevin Cash in the American League is a mortal lock. Don Mattingly in the National League of the Marlins, to me, is an absolute lock. I think I'm going two for two on this. I don't know if you can bet it. It's not really a pick, but I've got Cash and Mattingly going manager of the year. Okay. Uh, You know my background because I've talked about it. You know that I applied for and was on Survivor. You know that I was on season 28. You know that two of my fellow cast members, one in my own tribe, it was brains versus brawn versus beauty. I was on a tribe with, among others, Jatia Hart, who is a nuclear engineer, a nuclear physicist. Just she is brilliant. And, and uh, there's nothing more to say. In the beauty tribe was a, another African-American player named Bryce, who lives in Philly, who is super nice. And uh, he is not just a person of color. He is also uh, in the LGBTQ community. Uh, and they have been, they were both voted out early, as I was. They, none of us made the merge in Survivor. Why am I bringing this up? Because they took it upon themselves to get together with other black and, and persons of color who had been Survivor castmates, and they got together with other reality show castmates, and they've said that we are underrepresented. And they have gone public. They have had petitions. They have spoken with CBS. They have spoken with Jeff Probst, who is the EP of, of Survivor and the host and they have tried to effectuate change because they want an opportunity to have more people of color to be cast on reality shows. It is no coincidence that you are seeing more people of color on reality shows like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, et cetera. Well, CBS announced yesterday, that's the network where we are. We are a CBS sports podcast. I have great respect for CBS. Well, I want to tell you what they announced. They announced a new diversity pledge on Monday, and this pledge will certainly have an impact on their reality shows. Their reality shows, like Survivor and Big Brother, 
they announced that all future casts will contain at least 50% black or indigenous people of color. Wow. The president and CEO of CBS Entertainment Group said the reality TV genre is an area that's especially underrepresented and needs to be more inclusive across development, casting, production, and all phases of storytelling. As we strive to improve all these creative aspects, the commitments announced today are important first steps in sourcing new voices to create content and further expanding the diversity in our unscripted programming as well as on our network. A huge victory for my Survivor Kagayan castmates. Jatia Taylor gave a quote that said, lazy, crazy, workhorse, and sidekick are the typical ways that Survivor portrays African-Americans, which is disproportionately negative. We are heroes, nerds, beauties, and so much more in real life. And I'd like to see that on Survivor. I've had a lot of talks with Shatia about how the edit goes on Survivor, because when you're on the island, you're there 24-7, well, or you're there 24-3, depending on when you get voted out, or 24-39. But the editing is not done by you. You see one hour where there has been 72 hours of footage. Let's say there's an hour show that's really 42 minutes with commercials or 48 minutes with commercials, 46 minutes, whatever the number is. They are filming you 24 hours a day. Let's say they do three days of footage. They're filming every player 24 hours a day. And your edit, it's not your fault. It's not in your control. They edit people because we are all characters in an unscripted story. We all have character arcs. Some of us are the bad guys. Some are the good guys. Some are the smart guys. Some are the dumb guys. You can have very smart people who get quote unquote a dumb edit because all of us do dumb things no matter how smart you are. What I love about what CBS did and what is so important is that CBS listened to voices. They recognized something that was not working and they had the guts to change it. And they had the guts to do it on programs that do very well for them the way they were. They had all incentive to not make one change. Why screw with something that works? But CBS said no. Just because we're making money on this show doesn't mean it's working. So many companies, so many people have ignored diversity issues. They've ignored the call of their employees or talent in front of the camera or behind the camera. They've ignored their desire to effectuate change. And CBS is leading the way saying no more. What is fascinating to learn, though, is that it's not all charity. Because in this day and age, if you are a company and you are not embracing diversity, if you are not understanding that the train is leaving the station and you better be on it, 
Your company will suffer. Your shareholders will suffer. This is the right result at the right time. But make no mistake, for many of us at Survivor, this was personal. For CBS, this was business. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.